Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. 6.30 Chad Inside Sports with Reed Wilkins. Weekdays at 6 on 6.30 Chad. Edmonton's home for breaking news on your favorite teams. Now, Inside Sports with Reed Wilkins on the voice of your Oilers and Eskimos. 6.30, Chad. Seventh now in Philadelphia. Blue Jays leading the Phillies 4-2. Thanks for tuning in tonight. Inside Sports on 6.30, Chad. The Edmonton Oil Kings have announced their preseason schedule. They are not going to be playing a game at uh, Rogers Place. They're going to play their home games at Service Place in St. Albert. It kicks off with a couple of games in Red Deer, September 2nd and 3rd against the Rebels and against Prince George. Of course, you can go to the Oil Kings website to get all that stuff. The Oilers preseason schedule. Get the whole thing on the Oilers page on 630chet.com. Split squad game against the Calgary Flames on Monday, September 26th will be the first Oilers game at the new rink. Uh, home games also on October 4th, October 6th, and October 8th. And I... Pretty sure, pretty sure by this time next week you will know the full preseason schedule. So that'll be exciting. Reed Wilkins with you inside sports on 630 Chet. Thank you so much for tuning in. Eskimos final preseason game Saturday afternoon at the Brick Field at Commonwealth Stadium. We'll have it for you on 630 Chet. You know, we were talking about this last night. Uh, the offense was unhappy with how they performed yesterday at training camp. One offensive player left the field and was heard to mutter, blanking dog blank of course I'm substituting in some words there for language I'm not going to use on the radio a little more intensity better execution today uh, for the Edmonton Eskimos Mike Riley gathered the crew ahead of time and uh, and made sure the message was delivered and everybody was sharp Morley Scott was there play-by-play voice for the Eskimos here on 630 Chad Morley welcome back to the show how are you doing I am uh, good Reed thanks very much how are you doing well, I'm doing great. I'm happy for you just scanning the list of players cut by the Edmonton Eskimos. Your name not on the list. No, Morley. I made Congratulations. it. Congratulations. I made it. Thank you. You know what the best thing about it is? And and I, I don't wish any ill will on anyone, but I have my, my roster cards, and during the regular season, they're at a, a 14 font. Uh, in the preseason game last week, they were at a nine font. So that's written well, pretty small. Like 80 there's like guys. There's 100. Maybe not 80, you know, but yeah. Yeah, each team. There was like uh, over 150 guys in the game on Saturday, right? Right. Between the two teams. So uh, rosters are trimmed a little bit. I can maybe get it up to a 10 or an 11 font before the regular season starts. We go to 14. All right. So uh, the, the Eskimos are releasing nine players. Uh, and, I mean, there are some injured guys where we'll see mm-hmm. what the future holds for them. The name that stands out to me is, I, I mean, there, there were two kind of hyped signings in the offseason, uh, Joe McKnight and Jacoby Ford, both because they have NFL experience and they're known for being speedy guys. Uh, didn't work out here for Jacoby Ford. What happened? I, I think what happened was he got hurt on Saturday. and we, I don't know how serious the injury is, but he got hurt early on and we didn't see him the rest of the way. I don't think, I haven't got my stats in front of me, but I don't think he returned one kick. He didn't get a chance to return one kick. He got called for being offside. 
uh, at one on one play, but really didn't figure into much, and then got hurt. And uh, I, it must be serious enough that it's going to keep him off the field for a couple of weeks. And what's the old saying, Reed? You can't make the club when you're in the tub, and uh, that's exactly where he's going to be, uh, getting healthy. So yeah, it, it just didn't work out for him. McKnight back at practice today. He hasn't been at practice since the game on Saturday, uh, so he was back at practice today and uh, right now still on the roster. So good news for him. But McKnight's going for running back, though. Yeah, running Slash back. Slash returner. Yeah, well, more, more returner. More I think, returner, I think, right. those, I think those two guys were, were going for the return job. One of them was going to get it and stay. Uh, one of them wasn't. I thought, you know, there's more, maybe more room for uh, McKnight because he's a running back and, and, and maybe can, can play some slot back, too. So maybe he can back up at more positions. We'll see. But I, it, was, it was the return game that mostly I think they were signed for. All right. So... There, there are four wide receivers out of the nine players cut. Mm-hmm. Now, you need a lot of receivers on, on your roster, so maybe that's not I- entirely unusual, but what does this tell you maybe about some guys here who stuck around and have a shot well, to make the team? First off, cutting four receivers tells me two things. One thing is the Eskimos are pretty deep at receiver. Uh, they have a good group of starting receivers between the guys who are out there now. And secondly, there's two names not on that list that are receivers that have had great camps. Brandon Zilstra and uh, Bryant Mitchell. Both have had exceptional camps, played very, very well, and both carried it over into the game. Uh, Zilstra, I think, had four catches, I want to say, for 66 yards, and uh, uh, Mitchell had six catches for 38 yards and a touchdown on Saturday. Both played very well in the game, so they get an opportunity to stay. They they carried it over. The other guys, not so much, so they're no longer here. But I think the guys who are released, it's more a, a, more a statement about how well those other two guys have played. So are Mitchell and Zilstra out of the slot, or they line up wide? Uh, they've been lining up all over the place, but mostly, okay. in the, mostly, mostly in the slot. It's again the offense. I think this year could be like the defense was last year under Chris Jones. Guys playing all over the place. Uh, we've seen guys lining up in the slot and out wide uh, throughout training camp. So uh, just jotting down the receiver lists now. I'm well, going yeah. to make the safe assumption that Darius Bowman and Darrell Walker. They're probably going to make it. They're probably going to make it. Horn's probably going to be around. I'll, I'll, yeah, you're going to have Kuhorn and uh, and Walker probably on the outside. Okay. Uh, inside's going to be a Darius Bowman, uh, Chris Getzlaff, and Corey Watson. Which right now it's three Canadian receivers to two Americans, which is kind of a change from what we've okay. seen around here for the last little while. So, but but Mitchell and Zilstra, uh, and again, we're we're not there yet. But they could they could both be on the final roster though, because you're going to address seven receivers. Yeah, they could. And one could be on the one could be on the practice roster as well. And I mean, you might yeah, I, if I'm an Eskimo, if I'm the Eskimos, I'm kind of dangling that Darrell Walker story out there for sure. I mean, he made it. He made the team last year on the practice roster. Uh, he never he didn't start until what week five week six when uh, Darius well, he Bowman, missed six games right uh, yeah yeah when yeah. Darius Bowman got hurt and had to miss a game Walker came in got a hundred yards and just kept getting a hundred yards right uh, and and he was a great story last year so he came off the practice roster and and became rookie of the year uh, one of those two guys might get an opportunity to do that as well all right interesting stuff Morley Scott joining us inside sports on six thirty Chet Eskimos will play the Saskatchewan Rough Riders on. Saturday, 12.30 pregame show here on Chad. The game will start at 2, second and final preseason game for your green and gold. Uh, among the other guys, uh, Cuts, I know, Morley, you wanted to talk about defensive end uh, Daniel Ross. A bit of a surprise yeah, he was let go? I don't, I don't know so much of a surprise or not, but it's it's a guy the Eskimos have been invested in for the last couple of years. He's been on the practice roster for a couple of years, and uh, they released him uh, today. Uh, he's a young guy. I think he's only like 23 or 24, so that 
means he's been with the team since he was, you know, in 21 or 20 years of age, right? Uh, and a guy I know at times the Eskimos had high hopes for him. Uh, he's a big guy, but I guess they just decided he maybe he's not getting better. Maybe he's not getting to the point where we feel he can step in. And they decided maybe to, to just to, to cut their losses with him. Uh, I wouldn't be surprised at all if he gets picked up by somebody because he's young, he's talented, he's big. Uh, he's, he's got all the calling cards that somebody might want to take a chance on him and, and try and get him in their lineup. All right. This is the Saskatchewan Rough Riders will come here three times this season, twice in the regular season. Uh, certainly, preseason games don't carry the the, the magnitude. But but is it is it is it going to be a story for this week that Chris Jones and that staff is back, or do you think most of the circus surrounding that will be when they're here in, in uh, July? Yeah, I think I think they are getting some of the circus out of the way this week. Uh, <laughs> usually, uh, Reed, when teams travel, and, and I know the Eskimos do it differently because they charter everywhere. All teams don't charter, everywhere, but the Eskimos, like for example, last week in Calgary, they they bust down game day. They went right to the field, played, got in the buses, and drove home. Uh, when they play on the road, like last year when they were in Fort McMurray in Vancouver, they flew in game day, went right to the stadium, played the game, and flew home. Uh, the Riders are coming in a day before, and usually in preseason, there's no media availability for the visiting team. But I guess because the Riders have been hit with so many requests, they are doing availability with Chris Jones uh, at their hotel on Friday afternoon when they arrive. So I think that's going to alleviate some of the the hype surrounding that game when, when they come here in the regular season. What is that, week three, second home game of the year? Let me guess what Chris Jones is going to say. Well, it's nice to be back, but this is behind me now. Won, won a few games here and had a lot of fun. But <laughs> he now, never makes now, fun of how you talk. Now I'm with the Saskatchewan. I'm just saying that's how he'll sound. Yes, you're, he probably you're, does you're, make fun of how I talk. You're exactly right. Uh, that's, Actually, he uh, probably doesn't know my name. I'm he guessing. won't. Uh, he won't. <laughs> two years. I don't know if he knows my name or not. He was here for two years. Uh, he's all about football. That's the one thing I really loved about Chris Jones is if it had, if it didn't have anything to do with the football game on Sunday and him winning it, he didn't care. <laughs> he didn't want to hear about it. Don't bother me with it because I'm just worried about winning, which is great. I mean, I, I love I love the 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 you know the focus and and the attention he pays to everything. But uh, yeah, he's going to come in. You're right. It's it's behind him, and uh, he's he's going to say it's one of them deals where we're moving on, and uh, that's that's about it. You know, and uh, he's uh, he's a great coach. I don't think there's any doubt about that. Uh, and uh, we'll see it. We'll see what kind of effect he has in Saskatchewan this year. I did have a brief conversation at one of the practices I went to last year off mic with Chris Jones mm-hmm. about uh, about weather. Yeah, and the coldest game he'd ever coached or played in the United States. And I think it was something like 36 Fahrenheit, which is around zero. It's a beautiful day. Yeah, which yeah. is is a beautiful day for football. Yeah. So yeah. <laughs> anyway, we. Uh, it's gonna be it's gonna be interesting, especially there's so much and, and all those guys got their rings last week, right? They were all right. all the rings were shipped to Saskatchewan, so I think there was 14 of them, the coaching staff and a few players. So, yeah, there's it's interesting. I was talking to Darius Bowman today uh, at practice, and and I said this might be the most hype and intensity you've ever seen for a preseason game, and and he just kind of laughed and shook his head and said, "Yes, it is for sure." Uh, you know, and it's it's you know they want to beat him. I don't think there's any doubt about that. They want to beat him. They want to put up a lot of points on his defense and and just go, ha, told you. Morley, thanks for stopping by. Yeah, you bet. That is Morley Scott. Hear him again at 1230 on Saturday when the Eskimos host the Saskatchewan Rough Riders. The game will start at 2. We have every Eskimos game for you here on 630. Chad, I thought my Chris Jones impression was pretty accurate there, Matthew. Well, I'm glad to be back in Edmonton, but... That's behind me now. Now I'm a Saskatchewan Rough Rider. You know he's going to say that. You know oh, yeah. it's going to be the least informative interview ever. 
But that's fine. Like Morley said, he's all about football, and he won here. So he'll always have that. Should run a poll, Reed. Which press conference we t- were more concerned about? The Chris Pronger press conference or the Chris Jones press conference oh, coming yeah. back? <laughs> I think uh, I think the Pronger one had a little more hype around it. But, uh, yeah. 717. Uh, Mark Letestu and his father, Garth, coming up after the 730 News as we continue our Father's Day-themed segments here on Inside Sports. little golf talk when we get back. Hi, this is Ryan Nugent Hopkins from your Edmonton Oilers. You're listening to Inside Sports with Reed Wilkins on Oilers Radio, 630 Chad. Home run, Josh Donaldson, top of the eighth. Blue Jays in control, leading the Phillies 5-2. Thanks for tuning in tonight. It is 7.20 inside sports on 6.30. Ched, we'll keep you updated on the Jays game. Good conversation earlier tonight with Eric Stevens, covers the Anaheim Ducks for the Orange County Register. He does uh, not see a marriage between the Oilers and the Ducks when it comes to a trade. A lot going to be happening with NHL rosters over the next couple of weeks. The draft is next Friday and Saturday. One man who joined the Edmonton Oilers almost a year ago, Mark Letestu, is going to be on with us in about uh, 13 minutes or so as we continue our Father's Day theme. His dad, Garth, will be in studio as well. Want to touch on a little uh, golf right now. And uh, if if you listen to the show, you know that I I love the game of golf. I I love talking about the golf majors. The U.S. Open uh, is tomorrow. I play golf a few times in the summer, and quite frankly, I'm horrible. Uh, it, it, this is the thing that doesn't make sense about golf. I'm so bad at it, yet I still like it. Usually there's a point where you do something and you're no good at it, and you just say, well, I don't like this anymore. I mean, if I tried to bake a chocolate cake once a week, after three or four years of burning the cake and it tasting horrible, I'd probably just stop making the cakes. But no... I keep trying to golf, and I thought, all right, I got to change things. I got to go get a golf lesson. And the man who gave me that lesson is the director of golf at the Quarry in Northeast Edmonton, Taylor Sinsky, who I think, Taylor, you're finally over the horror of having to deal with my swing for an hour. <laughs> yeah. Uh, you, you weren't as bad as you're making it out to see him, and you got quite a bit better. So, uh, big improvement early. Well, it, it, the, th- the thing for me is I never really knew what to focus on other than, well, this felt good when I was 17, so I'll just keep doing it <laughs> now that I'm 42. Um, I, I uh, tended to, well, I still do, but I mean, slicing the ball has always been a problem for me. When you're talking to people, when you give lessons or you see people out playing your course, is it, is it the slice that's the number one problem? And, and if so, why is that? Yeah, by far it is. Uh, you know, it's uh, it's. I would say eighty eighty five percent of people, um, just your average weekend guy, that's their that's their ball flight is is a slice. And and I and you, your uh, your swing path is exactly kind of what we see is kind of that over the top uh, cutting across the golf ball. Um, and a lot of the time it's because guys aren't guys or, or ladies aren't getting their lower body into the into the swing which we worked on with you and. It's very difficult to get your club on the right path if you're uh, just turning your upper body and, and don't have that lower body driving the golf swing. Well, and that's the amazing thing about a golf swing is that if a good swing often feels completely effortless, which is, I mean, usually if a player scores a goal in hockey or scores a touchdown in the CFL, he, he's in pain. At right after <laughs> it happens. A, a good play in golf often feels like, oh, did I even move? That was just natural. 
Yeah, absolutely. And we saw that with you too when we got you uh, turning your lower body and, and getting your hips into it. Um, if you think about it, if your lower body is stable and your upper body is just turning, it puts a lot of tension on your back, both bringing the golf club back and through the golf ball. So, um, you know, once you get your lower body moving and, and having your, your big muscles in your, in your hips and your legs being the driver of the golf swing, it's, uh, you create a lot more power, which we saw with, uh, with the short time we were together, and, uh, and it feels a lot, a lot more effortless. I mean, if somebody, I mean, there are a lot of people who probably only get to play two, three times a month. I mean, there's a lot of people who might play in company tournaments. Would you tell them, I mean, just worry about keeping in play, in play focus on things you do to keep it straight. Don't worry too much about your score. I mean, do we get too hung up on the number on the scorecard sometimes and just not how we're hitting the ball? Yeah, probably. I mean, if you, uh, if you're, if you're playing in fun company events like that i think the biggest thing is to just be able to enjoy yourself and if you're if you're too hung up on the score and you're not playing off enough it's going to be very difficult to improve your game uh, it's not just a sport where you can just pick it up and 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 be okay at it again it's not like riding a bike at all so um yeah you know it's it's tough to be able to to play two or three times in some corporate things in a year and and expect much out of it well, I got to say, if if people are serious about getting better, uh, take a lesson. I've I had two rounds. I've played two rounds since you worked with me. One was encouraging, the other one was not so in- encouraging. But I accept that that's golf, and I I got to keep working at it. Taylor Sinsky, the director of golf at the Quarry, joining us. Uh, we've teamed up this summer for uh, for a little video series at the Quarry. So uh, I've uh, I'm going to tweet out the latest of the debut video that we just released yesterday on the 630 Ched YouTube channel. We'll be doing that one a week for the next couple months or so. Just tell me a little bit about the course. First of all, Taylor, the drive into your golf course, um, you have great views there. That might be the best of all, but but that is an awesome location for you guys. Yeah, it's it's amazing. I mean, being down in that uh, little valley that we're in, which was an old rock quarry, is is just incredible. It's so quiet. Um, we've got 300-plus acres down there. Uh, and no houses on the golf course, which is great. And uh, having said that, we're only, you know, two or three minutes from where the Hendays extended there off 153rd. So uh, very easy to get to, but quiet um, down in that valley. And that view coming in, you see the entire property. So it's funny, you'll often see, um, you know, four or five vehicles stopped up on that hill just kind of, taking in that view before they come down into the parking lot but you kind of get that same view up on granite number six where you can see the whole property up there uh, all 27 holes so some nice nice views down there the quarry edmonton.com if people want to check it out or book a tea time uh before we let you go uh quick comment on on the u.s you know it's funny i had dick zokel on the show last week a former canadian pro played yeah. in several u.s opens he said oakmont might be the one course in america where they have to make it easier to meet u.s open standards uh and the and the winning score is probably still going to be over par by monday i would say that's very accurate there's a very good chance that uh just listen to some of the guys talk that i think uh three four five over could potentially win the rough is just painfully thick in the greens they said we're snipping at 14 which is just that's unthinkable you may as well put on your on your hardwood floor in your kitchen because it's just it's crazy
All right. Taylor, thanks a lot for your time. I'm going to uh, tweet out the video on my account, at Reed Wilkins, right now. Thanks again for uh, the lesson. I hope I look a little better the next time we meet up for one. Sounds good. Come see me soon, and we'll, we'll, get, you, we'll get you hitting it much further and straighter in no time. Right on. That's Taylor Sinski checking in tonight. He's the director of golf at the Quarry. Quick break for the news, then we're back with Mark Letestu from your Edmonton Oilers. You're listening to Inside Sports with Reed Wilkins on Edmonton Sports Leader, 630 Chad. Schultz with his new group out there. Letestu, McDavid, Yakupov, and Puglia. And it's Schultz to the right-hand side. Letestu dropped it off. Gaining the line, taking his time. Yakupov centers deflected home. Off Letestu. And Edmonton's taking a 1-0 lead on the power play. That's Jack Michaels with the call. Remember that one, Mark? I do. It was on the power play. First one. First goal as an oiler. Yeah, off the skate. It was a pretty one. You meant to do that. I was in the right spot. Just don't kick it, and you're fine. Yeah, that's a goal. That's perfect. Top shelf. Reed Wilkins with you on Inside Sports. It's 7.35. Edmonton Oilers center Mark Letestu in studio as we continue our Father's Day week here on Inside Sports. Uh, Mark's dad, Garth, in from Elk Point, is going to join us in a few minutes. But Mark, first of all, thanks so much for coming in. Yeah, no, this is uh, is great. This is summer's about watching the Jays and... Radio hits with Reed Wilkins. Yeah, that's pretty much the, the pinnacle right there. Uh, 7-2 now for the Blue Jays. I was distracted there for a minute. I think it's 7-2 bottom eight, so they're pulling away from the Phillies. You're sticking around all summer, right? Eh? Yeah, this is this is home. Uh, obviously coming back last summer, but we're we're fully invested in the community. Come and, uh, and stick around. And we, we felt that uh, kind of as we've played and as we've been on different teams, uh, when you kind of invest yourself in the community and get to know uh, kind of the people and uh, some of the things that, the organization's about uh, you kind of get feel that connection with them so it's something we're trying to do here sticking around all summer doing all the, the charity stuff and uh, it's been a lot of fun so far were you at the were you not signing this weekend at the final locker room sale at Rexall yeah it was a crazy turnout uh, I just happened to be coming in from Elk Point from seeing mom and dad and drove by uh, Rexall and the line was all the way to the street you know so I was a little overwhelmed then and just to get in there, it was full. People were were pretty excited about getting some stuff, and then obviously saying their goodbyes to you know what was a pretty historical building. What 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 is a is there a typical thing that a fan says to you? You know, not not really. Uh, you know, what's what's Connor like to play with? Something like that. <laughs> yeah, I guess people want to yeah. know that. That's always yeah. the big question. Yeah. yeah. If you ever on a line with him, I would I would I mean just to be an armchair coach, I would just suggest passing to him, Mark. He always passes to me though, and then I miss the net and I take Twitter heat for like two months. So it's uh, oh, it's been I, longer than two yeah. months. Trust me. Yeah, I want him to keep shooting, keep the puck. <laughs> um, you you broke into the NHL with the with the Pittsburgh Penguins. I mean, I, I've told your story a, a, a few times, but for the the two people who who don't know it, uh, Mark played for the St. Paul Junior B Canadians. That's when we. I don't remember the first time we would have met, but at some point I would have interviewed you. You played for the Bonneville Pontiacs. You eventually became AJHL MVP. Even then, I don't think, at least I probably wouldn't have thought you're going to be in the NHL. Uh, one year at um, Western Michigan, and then uh, Wilkes-Barre signed you into the AHL for the Penguins, and uh, you eventually played a couple seasons with the Penguins before moving on to Columbus. Uh, a lot of changes since you were Pittsburgh Penguin, but some of the the key guys there. I mean, do you have any connection to them when you see them winning the Stanley Cup? Yeah, I mean, I mean the connection that you played with them. Uh, you know what they do, how they prepare. 
uh, what they put into, you know, as far as being a big part of that team. Uh, and it was nice to see uh, Sid win it a different way. Uh, you know, he wasn't the, the carrying the load uh, the way he did in their past Stanley Cup by, you know, scoring 30-plus points and I think it was 15 or 16 goals. Uh, even, I mean, the, the empty netter uh, to finish it all off. He blocks a shot and makes a nice little outlet pass. Uh, I think that really showed what that team was all about, everybody chipping in and, and doing some of the things maybe they're, maybe we're out of character uh, and, and it showed and obviously they're rewarded for it and I'm sure celebrating as we speak. What's what's Crosby like to, to be in the room with or, or to practice with the UC that, that has allowed him since obviously a very young age to separate himself as a player? Well, for me, what, I mean, playing with him, uh, to see the way he approaches things in practice, he's always working at his game. He's always trying to hone his craft. Uh, I can remember uh, him not being particularly good on face-offs. Well, he went away for a summer and came back, and all of a sudden he was good at it. Uh, you know, he couldn't shoot a puck through a pane of glass. He went away for a summer, come back, and he's, you know, he's going to rock it on his forehand and his backhand. Uh, so he's always working at his game, uh, and I think it's contagious throughout the locker room. You see him working on his craft. Uh, you know, whether it be before practice or in the gym. Uh, I mean, guys considered the best player in the world by a lot of people. Uh, when he's doing that kind of stuff, uh, you can't make excuses for yourself not to do it. So it just drags everybody into the fight. And I think that's what uh, we've seen during the playoffs. Yeah, Mark Letestu from the Edmonton Oilers in studio here inside Sports on 630, Chet. Was there any uh, feeling of satisfaction for you or, you know, a good for him to see Justin Schultz get to lift the cup? Yeah, I, I mean, mean you, you certainly weren't immune to the criticism he was facing here. Yeah, and and I don't think he right now is thinking, you know, I showed those guys or the people in Edmonton or anything. It, you know, it's always good to see a teammate and a good guy go off into a situation and flourish. I think that's what we all wanted for him as a teammate uh, was to go to Pittsburgh, a change of scenery, uh, something that a lot of people uh, felt he needed and and have success. And I'm to me, I mean, there's no greater success than winning the Stanley Cup. You know, it may not be a, a defense scoring title or a Norris Trophy, but uh, that's something he's going to carry with him for the rest of his life. And as a teammate, I, you know, I couldn't be happier for him. A lot has been made of how Pittsburgh controlled that final. I know Jack Michaels, um, who was, you know, we heard calling your goal there, texted me after game five when the Sharks stayed alive, and he was like, this is basically a five-game sweep uh, by the Penguins who c- controlled most of the action and it's brought up the whole well you know maybe you don't need to play that grinding style as much look look how they did it with speed i mean you're you're out i mean you're one of only two Oilers to play all 82 games this this season is that oversimplifying it does this signify a, a change or is it just i mean because to me it's if, if you do something well and you do it consistently it doesn't matter if it's speed shooting or hitting it, it, it's going to help you. Does, does the Penguins win, winning signify that the grinding game is less important, or is it just a style that worked for them? Well, it certainly worked for them, uh, but the league's a copycat league. It, it's very trendy uh, because the team was smaller and, and speedy and, and something the media and the players and coaches and everybody commented on was how fast they were. I'm sure teams are going to try and identify that as, as something they want to you know bring to their team. Uh, so I, I could see it, it happening, uh, but you know, maybe they got the right matchups this year. Maybe San Jose was the right matchup for them. Uh, you know, had they played L.A. or Chicago, who knows, uh, it would have been different. Uh, but they certainly played their style uh, better than other teams played their own. Uh, I think you could see that in the finals. San Jose couldn't get to, you know, their game. Uh, and Pittsburgh really willed it on them and took their time and space away. And, you know, for me, seeing their back check, 
especially with the forwards coming back. I think, uh, you know, it helped those defensemen, which, uh, you know, a lot of people criticize for being not very good, look pretty darn good. Uh, so I think it worked for them. Uh, and for sure you're going to see teams try and apply it to their own. They were fast, but they were organized. And, I mean, to me, that that's the thing, right? I mean, and McClellan came in and said with you guys, fast, hard, and supportive, and said, I, I don't mean fast skaters. I mean quick decisions, knowing where the guy is, the guy the guy getting there. Because to me, that's always another... I mean, it's great to have the speed of Connor McDavid. That's That, that, that makes makes a difference. But, but I thought, you know, from the, the point of view of, of transporting the puck, when you guys struggled, it was often in the neutral zone with a pass that didn't get there in time. Uh, with a guy who hesitated moving the puck up the ice. And I think that's another aspect to the speed thing of it that doesn't relate to how physically fast you skate. Absolutely. Structure, uh, predictability, and makes uh, players a step faster. You know, myself, I'm not a fast hockey player, but being able to play the system and know where to be, uh, where defensemen are going to deliver pucks that's going to be there on time, absolutely makes you quicker, uh, makes teams faster. And when you can play as a five-man unit, uh, whether it's puck movement or, or breakouts or delivering pucks into spots or just executing your systems, you're going to appear quick. Uh, and especially teams that are disorganized on the defensive end. I, the, you know, the old cliche is the puck moves faster than the man. And well, it's, it's true. And you could see the way that the Pittsburgh defensemen were moving pucks. It was on the stick. It was off the stick. It was get into the forward's hand and let them work. And, and I think it was effective for them. And even slower teams are going to look faster if they're structured, and obviously uh, their coach uh, Sullivan has, has implemented that, and they've bought in. Mark Latestu is in studio. We're going to bring in another special guest as we count down towards Father's Day on Sunday. You brought your dad, Mark. I brought him. Yeah, it's exciting. This is his big uh, radio debut. Garth Latestu is going to join us as well on Inside Sports when we get back. Hi, this is Taylor Hall from your Edmonton Oilers. You're listening to Inside Sports with Reed Wilkins on Oilers Radio 630 Ched. All right, thanks a lot for tuning in tonight. It's 747. This is Inside Sports on 630 Ched. Got a text from Jordy. Says, I once played hockey for the St. Paul Canadians way back in 1978. Good to know that Mark once played for them too. Mark Latestu is in studio. Jordy, a former... St. Paul Canadian. You guys, uh, Mark, I'm trying to remember, you lost the league final to the Bandits? Yes. Was yeah. that when you were up 3-1? Were you on that team? Uh, I think Sorry we, for bringing this up. I don't know if we were ever... Beat them. I don't know if we were ever up 3-1. We might have been, uh, but they, they, were, they were the better team. They beat us that year. You guys were pretty good. Yeah, we lost three games that season. We, we should have. Oh, right, that was that year. Yeah. Like, it was like you lost three out of 36 or 32, whatever it yeah, was. Yeah, it was 36. We should have played better, but they, they were the better team. They had the playoff experience. Yeah. Coach Staniforth had him ready to go. Yeah, Stanny's probably listening tonight. Yeah, yeah, sometimes he texts to me about guys who used to fight in the WHL. I love, I love those ones. Uh, that's Mark Letestu from your Edmonton Oilers. His dad, Garth, is in studio as well. Garth, thanks for stopping by. Thanks, Reed, for having me tonight. It's great to be here with Mark. So. Yeah, okay. right on. So your home for you is still out by Elk Point? Yes, it is. In yes. the town, or are you rural? No, we're right in town. Been there right for in. 20 years. Awesome stuff. Yeah. What do you like best about uh, the small-town Alberta experience? Well, it was really good for the boys growing up there and getting into the... The hockey was, was a lot smaller, and uh, so they got to play a lot, and uh, and everybody was out cheering for them, so that was great, you know. Now, who got them into hockey? Was it you? Did they want to play, or was it just, you know, you're in a Canadian small town, there was no other choice? <laughs> <laughs> 
Actually, uh, well, we loved hockey. So Mark and I used to wait from, the, well, he used to watch with me from the time he was a baby, watched Montreal Canadiens play. And uh, then when he was four, we put the ice out in the backyard and he was out there with his toy shovel and flooding the ice too. So he was he was right into it right off the start. Now, but who who taught him though? Because you were saying you yourself didn't play a lot of hockey when you were younger? No, no. Uh, in the beginning, it was just him and I. I loved the game. I just couldn't skate. So <laughs> I absolutely loved hockey, but uh, so we'd get him going out on the on the back, and and he'd play there for hours by himself, and then we'd get off to the rink in Dundurn. It was Dundurn, Saskatchewan at the time, and the manager there, the caretaker, used to let us in by ourselves, and we would skate the circles on the ice, and he'd pass the puck back and forth, and if he missed me, he had to go get the puck. So that's where his skating come and his passing, I believe, started there. <laughs> Mark, do you re- were you? remember any of this or are you too little to, re- to recall it well I, I i probably too little to recall some of it i do remember uh being on the backyard shooting against a big piece of plywood you know we didn't have a net yeah. or anything but uh yeah it was small town stuff like he said uh, and again he couldn't skate he's not lying so <laughs> when i missed i was a lazy kid so i had to make sure i made the passes so that honed, honed your passing game garth what was it like for you going into that free agency period last summer and then you know knowing that mark is you know quote unquote uh coming home that's been pretty exciting well we really didn't know up until the very end that he was actually coming home and he just phoned us probably the night before and said uh what do you think and then i started to think well maybe he is coming home (laughs) but we actually thought he was probably headed somewhere else and uh, we were going to be flying to another city and we loved columbus columbus is a beautiful city and uh, we very much enjoyed traveling there and and going to see him play there but we were super thrilled when we found out he was coming to edmonton mark how much did did being from elk point factor into this this because i because i know i mean i i've been led to believe there were probably three or four other teams pretty heavily involved as well yeah i would say very little uh you know i tried to take the the emotions out of it of playing at home and tried to keep everything uh kind of even uh whether it was you know the composition of the roster the opportunity or the money uh the family life a lot of different things so after edmonton came to the top of the list and a lot of those things then you kind of let the emotions of playing at home and wow it'd be cool to to do that uh, it probably, you know, you know, kicked it over the edge for me. Uh, but uh, he's, he's right. I, I didn't tell him where I was signing at all. You know, I, I made him watch, uh, you know, the free agent <laughs> frenzy to figure out where I was coming. So I wanted to keep it a secret for everybody and let them kind of uh, deal with the suspense. So it was, it was a lot of fun. And once it finally got announced, uh, the phone was, was buzzing pretty good. So uh, are you in for a lot of games, Garth, or how do you – because, like, you, know, you know, this is the funny thing for me. I know there are some parents who – are too nervous to watch their kids perform. You know, I heard there's like there's figure skating parents who won't won't watch like football parents who can only watch the highlights. They can't watch it. Well, what's your attitude like? No, the uh, watching Mark play hockey was great all the time. We were we were at every game when he was growing up. We took him everywhere. Everywhere all our holidays were based in a in a hockey rink. No, watching him, <laughs> we never went on a holiday anywhere that didn't have a rink. So, uh, watching him even in the NHL, I'd say it was stressful to start with because we were a little little afraid for him to start with. But uh, he's done super. Why were you afraid up for him? Uh, just at that point, uh, you know, the NHL was something up here. 
that you never thought was really attainable. And he was getting there, and my goodness, it was just something else. I want to ask you about that because, you know, again, Mark, part of the story I tell about you, as, as a 17-year-old, everybody knew who Connor McDavid was going to be. As a 17-year-old, I mean, you were, like I said, you were playing junior B. You know, no one would have ever thought you'd been in the NHL. Garth, what was it? I mean, you always want the best for your son, but, I mean, parents, you know, got to think, like, okay, you know, where, what decision is he going to make? Is he going to get an education out of this? Is, is he running an injury risk that could affect him the rest of his life? What was it you like for you watching progress from, a, like, a junior B guy as a 17-year-old to a full-time NHLer when he's 23, 24? It, uh... There were a lot of decisions to be made prior to that, but the whole object of the whole thing was to get a scholarship. Mm -hmm. And we always felt he had the talent to get a scholarship and go to school and, and earn a degree and, uh, and get ahead in life that way. It was never, ever thought that he would play in the NHL. And I believe up until uh, they lost to Alaska in the uh, four, uh, that was the whole game plan. And then Mark phoned and said, you know, I got an offer. And so I phoned his agent, and that's, I've never talked to the guy. <laughs> so I phoned Al, and I said, do you really think he has an opportunity to play in the NHL? Because it was all about school. Mm -hmm. And he said, absolutely. He said, uh, we feel he's going to play, and he's going to play a, a big role when he gets there. And it won't be just a part-time role. Because I said, I, I really want Mark to finish the school out, if possible. But that, was all, that decision was always left to Mark. Mark had to make that decision because he's got to live with it the rest of his life. And he made the right one. But uh, Mark's dad was, uh, well, I'm sure you were too. I mean, they, that, that's a nice offer to get that scholarship out of the AGHL. So, that, I mean, I, it, look, I, it might sound stupid to say it couldn't have been an easy decision because who wouldn't want to play pro hockey? But I, I assume when you're faced with it, I mean, is, is it that obvious a choice, or how did you deal with it? Yeah, I mean, it was it was, it was tough uh, because at the time, you know, me going on my scholarship, that was that was kind of the the carrot I'd been chasing. Uh, you know, I was going to get something out of out of hockey, and it was going to you know hopefully set me up for for what was going to be my my career or life after hockey. So it was it was great to get, uh, but you know, when you get that call from you know, I'm talking to Ray Shiro in the cafeteria. Uh, you know, it kind of gets overwhelming and you start getting the thoughts in your head, like, what if? Uh, you know, so I took the opportunity uh, because, I, you know, you never know if you're going to get that chance again. Uh, and, you know, I've been trying to finish my degree as I've been playing. So, uh, you know, hopefully I'll end up with both in the end. Uh, and like Dad said, it, it's been a great decision. Uh, it hasn't always been on the up and up. You know, there's been some, some adversity, but it, it's turned out uh, quite well. What's your degree going to be in? Well, it's probably going to be in, in business management, something like that. So we're still working at it. And it's tough during the season. You can only take a course or two right. as you're playing. So it's slow, uh, but, you know, hopefully something uh, gets finished. Uh, what was your first NHL game? First game uh, was at home at the Igloo against, uh, actually, it was the Boston Bruins at the time. Uh, you know, and the only thing I can really remember uh, was how big uh, Zdeno Chara was and how small Andrew Ferentz was. <laughs> so that, and, and I mean, when you're watching these guys on TV, you don't really kind of grasp, right. uh, you know, the way they are. But when you get on the ice and you see them next to you, it's kind of, you know, you get that moment of awe where you're looking at the guys and thinking, holy cow, I'm on the ice, and wow, that guy's big, you know, stuff like that. Garth, did you make it for that game or watch on TV or what? No, uh, no, we never made it for that. Was that the one when we went to Winnipeg? And you got called up? I think so, yeah. That's the one where we drove uh, from from uh, 
from Elk Point, went Saskatoon, picked up Grandma and Grandpa, and we drove to Winnipeg to watch them play in uh, an American Hockey League game in Winnipeg. And we get there, and he says, I got good news and I got bad news. <laughs> the the good, bad news is I'm not playing tonight. And we thought he got benched. <laughs> and then he said, I'm going to the NHL. So we, we drove all the way to Winnipeg, and uh, he had to get on the plane. He sat with us in the stands, but he got on the plane after and had to go. So it was great. Can you guys stick around till after the news? Yeah, sure. Oilers center Mark Letestu in studio with his dad, Garth. This is Inside Sports on 630 Chad. 630 Chad, Inside Sports with Reed Wilkins. Weekdays at 6 on 630 Chad.